Well, good almost afternoon. How's everybody doing today? Good? Come on, who's excited to be in church? Anybody excited? And listen, I'm excited. Uh, if this is your first time checking out Elevate Church, my name is Colby. I want to welcome you. You caught us in the second week of a series called Uncaged Faith, which honestly, if I, I just want to be upfront with you, it's one message I've just broken up into three different weeks. A message on faith and how we are called to live a, a big kind of bold, unbridled, unhindered, wild, uncaged kind of faith. That's what we're after. That everybody in this room, God has given you a measure of faith. And some of you would think maybe my measure is a teaspoon amount, you know, compared to someone else's. But the reality is we all have a measure of faith, and I believe God wants us to increase it. And so that's what we're talking about in this series, how we have this faith that pleases God. The Bible says without it, right, it's impossible to please God. So our faith, on the other hand, pleases God. When you and I walk through our day with our head held high, declaring faith in our life instead of doubt. And the reality is, though, we have to learn how to exercise that out. So what I have for us today, I believe, is a systematic approach to how we exercise our faith muscles to where you and I, our, our response to anything that needs faith in our life, because how many of you know we live in a world that it takes a lot of faith for us to live? Come on, somebody, right? Like... We need faith, and so we also need to know how to systematically exercise our faith out so that we form a muscle memory of faith, so that faith would be our, our default automatic response instead of fear, instead of doubt, instead of anxiety, that our first response when faced with a situation would be one of faith. So I'm encouraging you to get some notes out, to, to jot these down. Again, this is gonna be very applicable for us today to where you can use this on Monday, uh, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. We say that if you can't use it on Monday, then the Sunday didn't count. And we want this to count. I believe that God wants to help build our faith. So take some notes, and if you're not a note taker, you should go ahead and take notes anyway. All right, you see what I did there? Take notes anyway. Uh, let me set it up like this. Uh, a couple years ago, I had the privilege of taking my oldest son, Wade, who just turned 14, to Israel and did the whole you know, baptism in the Jordan River and all that kind of stuff. One of the coolest things we did, though, was to hike up uh, to Masada. Uh, that's what this place is. And it's about uh, it's 600 steps, winding path, like steps, literal steps up this, up this mountain, up to the top. It's close to the Dead Sea, so it's close to the lowest place you know, on the planet. Extremely hot, 600 steps, felt like six billion steps, by the way. And we're like, do you wanna, you wanna take the gondola up, Wade, or do you wanna hike it up? And he's like, we're hiking. In fact, we are running. That's what he wanted to do, run up this mountain, all right? And I'm like, all right. The competitive you know, nature inside of me that I think we all have to some degree was like, let's go. Let's bring it on. About um, five minutes into it, Wade's like, what's wrong, Dad? And I'm like, it's hot. I'm tired. He's like, are you okay? Do you need some water? Do you need to take a break? Do you need an AED machine? Do you need a paramedic? Like what? And I'm like, okay, so this is what this is now. I'm the old guy now. I never was an old guy. Now I'm the old guy. And I was frustrated, to be honest, like because I knew what I wanted my body to do, right? It just it wouldn't do it. And I'm like, why do I have to stop? Why do I, have, I can't breathe? You know, I'm sweating. It's, it's crazy. It's terrible. And then it occurred to me that while I was, I had trained a little bit and jogged a little bit and we, we were walking a lot of miles in Israel, I hadn't trained to go up six gazillion steps. And there's a big difference 
between what I had trained for and what we were doing. And I think that uh, is the same when it comes to our faith. And for these mountain types of situations in our life that you and I will face, these steps that we have to take to get from where we are to where we want to be to knowing what we have faith for, there's a, a big difference between being able to execute it and live it out and actually exercising it and training for it. And I would submit that maybe some of the reason why you feel stuck Maybe some of the reason why you feel like, you know, why, why don't I have faith to get over this? Why don't I have faith to get through this thing, to get beyond this thing? Why do I feel like this thing continually knocks me down in life is because we haven't trained for it. We haven't trained our faith for that. Uh, and I wonder if you've ever felt like, like I have, that as soon as you get something resolved in your life, something else happens. You know what I'm talking about? Like as soon as you, as you fix the car, get the car fixed, the dishwasher breaks. As soon as the, the sickness gets through the family and it works its way through all the kids and the parents and all that, like as soon as you are all in the clear, another kid gets sick. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, God, what's, what's going on, right? Like what the heck is happening? Here, is this really the abundant life? Is this really the life, you know, I'm called to live? And we come to church on the weekends and we hear things like, man, you're an overcomer by the blood of the lamb, that God has good things planned for you, that, that you, are, uh, you are to go from victory to victory to victory in Christ Jesus, that he can do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. And we look at our life and go, is this it? Like, does anybody ever feel that way? Like their, their, their faith is, is not where it should be that God should be doing more in their life. And the danger in that is because we can arrive at a place in our life and say, well, I guess this is it. This is all that I, I have after all. With all due respect, it ain't it. And I know that's bad grammar, but that's correct theology. That God does say that we are to move from victory to victory, that we are to live a faith-filled life. Come on, somebody, that there is more, I think, than what we're experiencing. And so a lot of times we get we get stuck in our faith where I would submit that we have to exercise it out. We have to take these, these steps to get to where we want to be. But I think a lot of us feel that faith is, is something like uh, fairy dust, that God will sprinkle over your life in one moment and that you will feel like you have, have faith or that maybe you're gonna come to church and you're gonna sing the song that you wanted to sing, and you're gonna get the Holy Ghost goosebumps in that moment, and then all of a sudden you're going to feel, feel faith. And when you don't, you're like, all right, maybe it didn't happen this week, maybe next week I'll get faith. And I, I would propose it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. That faith doesn't hit you out of nowhere, that God doesn't sprinkle some faith pixie dust over your life, that it's not just a, a feeling of faith that you have in the moment that you have to take steps. It's a hard climb sometimes, up a mountain in order to exercise our faith, which by the way, um, that's the way I went up the mountain. That's not the way I came down. This is the way I came down. That's right. Don't judge me. Wait, he's like, you want to run down it? No, I don't want to run down this thing. I'm barely alive right now. But I think for us, we think that that's more what our faith looks like, that it's this gondola, you know, that goes, goes straight up, that we get faith in a moment. But I would submit it's more of a step-by-step -step process up a mountain that we have to learn, that we have to learn to have a muscle memory for, that our first response when faced with a challenge in our life is one of faith, not fear, not doubt, not anxiety, but is one of, of faith in this world that we live in, because Jesus said this in John 16, in this world you will have, what's that word? 
trouble. Like, don't you feel encouraged? Aren't you glad you came to church today? You're gonna have trouble. Welcome. We just wanna build you up. You're gonna have trouble. Like, the reality is we live in a fallen, broken world where bad things happen. Did you know that? Broken people break people. Hurt people hurt people. And so that's just the reality of it. But Jesus said, even in the middle of that, take heart, I have overcome the world. So we can walk in victory in the middle of those troubles in our, our life. But... We have to learn. We have to exercise faith out. We have to have a response in our life that produces faith and not reduces faith. We have to learn to exercise our, our faith muscles so that we don't respond in fear. Because if you respond in fear, you just continue that vicious cycle over and over in your life. If you respond in every situation with doubt, that's the cycle that you continue over and over in your life. If you respond uh, in those situations with negativity, right, then that will produce uh, that vicious cycle over in your life. And I didn't say continue, I said produce, because in the power of the tongue is life and death. And some of you are experiencing situations in your life that you have spoken into existence. That was just a, a small step for you. That was just a little step, but because you've spoken negativity into it, is now this large, looming mountain that you have to climb. And so if faith is not something we get in a moment, it's not something that's sprinkled over our life and it's not a, a feeling, right? Then how should we live it out? How, what should our response be? I wanna give you a response today. Again, that will, uh, every challenge that we face, like before anxiety enters, before fear enters, that we have a calculated, and don't miss this, disciplined, because that's the hard part, response. And I say disciplined is because we have to learn to respond this way. None of us, feel like responding this way. I don't know a single athlete that does what they do to their body because they feel like it. They do it, right, to get, to get gains. They do it to, to, to produce the, uh, the results that they are looking for in their life. They don't do it because they, they feel like it. And I think faith for us is the same way. A lot of us are, are basing our faith on our feelings. And so we'll exercise it out if we feel like it in the moment. But I think that we need to learn a disciplined, calculated response in order to produce those faith gains for us that we're hoping for. In fact, here's a title for this message if you want to jot it down. I'm calling it Faith Gains, all right? You can call it uh, Get Swole on Faith. You can call it Get Jacked on Faith. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But we're talking about exercising our faith out, getting some gains to where it becomes a a automatic muscle memory in our life. And I wanna do it through a story in 2 Kings chapter three. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you don't, it's gonna be up here on the screen. But let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, it's during a season in Israel where there are these three kings. Now, not the, the we three kings that you, you hear about during Christmas time, that you sing about, you know, the we three kings of... In fact, that's not even a real thing, by the way. Like that's the problem with studying God's word is because you end up ruining it for everyone else. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, there were not three kings that came. In fact, we don't know how many kings or wise men came and it wasn't when Jesus was in the manger. It was three years after Jesus was born that these guys showed up. So you should go home today, pull out your nativity set, get rid of those guys, make it theologically correct. No, I'm kidding, don't do that, don't do that. It's fine the way it is, it looks good. But I just to say, this is a different three kings. 
These are three kings in uh, Israel during the season where Israel was split into uh, the, the nation of Israel and Judah. And there was this other king uh, along with these guys that was kind of like a viceroy king sort of thing. And so just uh, he was joining with these other three kings to go fight one enemy, the Moabites. And so they were wandering seven days uh, in the wilderness. They get to this valley and it's a desert and it's hot and they have zero water. So if you can imagine these three armies that come together that are about to engage in battle are dehydrated. There's nothing for the, the soldiers. There's nothing for the animals. It is a bad scene. Like it's never good to engage uh, in, in, a, in a battle where you are dehydrated, you have no water. And so they're facing a challenge, don't miss this, that they have zero control over. That's key. Because I submit that we all face those kinds of difficulties in our life where we're desperate for God to move and do something, but we can't do anything about it. We have zero control over it. And when that happens, we need to have a calculated response to those situations that will increase our faith, will flex our faith muscles. Here we go, 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11. I'm gonna give you these four responses straight out of the text. If you have a Bible, great. If not, it will be up here. But it says, but Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we, we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the kings of Israel answered and said, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Elijah was a well-known prophet of God. He's one of the major prophets in your, your Bible. Um, and Elisha was his mentee. And when Elijah died, uh, actually he didn't die, he went up in a whirlwind into heaven, Elisha prayed that he would get a double portion, double anointing of the blessing that God had given Elijah, and he did. In fact, if you go out and read you know, through the, 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 the Bible, you'll see that Elisha did nearly double the amount of miracles that Elijah did. So God gave him you know, what he asked for, but here's what I want you to notice. Jehoshaphat, uh, they find themselves in a place where they have a need that they cannot meet. They have this need that they cannot produce or do anything about on their own. And so their first response is, hey, let's go to God. Is there anybody here that we may inquire of the Lord? So write it down. If you want faith gains in your life, your first calculated response is to go to God. Jot that down. Go to God. Like make it automatic. Make it your default response that every time, the first time, we go to God. Now, here's what you're saying. Wow, Colby, that's amazing. That's so, that's brilliant. Actually, what you're saying is, Colby, that seems elementary. It does, doesn't it? If we did it all the time. But we don't do this all the time. In fact, when we're faced with a tough challenge or situation, our, our knee-jerk response is to go first to our bank account, is that gonna solve it? Is that gonna take care of it? Or we'll go to our employer, you know, is my job, you know, is this the issue do I need to fix? Or we'll go to a neighbor, or we'll go to a, a family member, or we'll go to a friend. And all of those are, are great. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying they can't be the first place that you go. Like ever. Like the first place we need to go when faced with a situation is go to God. The moment you get the text, the moment you get the email, the moment you find out what's happening before uh, anxiety creeps in, before fear creeps in, before you allow anyone else to have a voice into it, your first response is to go to God. And I know it sounds simple, but it will change your life. 
Like, so that means if you wake up tomorrow, and let's just say you go out of your, your house and you get in your car and your car has a flat. And your first response, you know, if you wake up and you find your car has a, a flat tire is to uh, say, well, this, you know, really fill in the blank. I don't know what you say. So whatever you normally say, you fill in the blank. And instead of saying, you know, this is terrible, you know, and they let it ruin your day or your week or your life kind of thing, you're like, I'm gonna go to God and I'm gonna say, God, this stinks, but you're still on the throne of my life. This stinks, but you have good things for me that I'm not gonna let this steal my joy, rob my peace, steal my happiness. I'm gonna go to God. Now, here's why I said this is a discipline because no one in this room feels like doing that. Like if you woke up tomorrow and you had a flat tire, you're not gonna go, well, I'm gonna choose joy today, right? <laughs> Oftentimes we allow our, our feelings to dictate and determine the response that we have. But you can't allow that. We need to first, first, before any of that sets in, go to God. Feelings will fail you. Feelings will, will lead you astray. Like if I lived by my feelings, I probably wouldn't be alive. Right, I'd be dead, or I'd be, be broke if I lived by my feelings. I would say things I shouldn't say. I would do things I shouldn't do. I would eat things I shouldn't eat. If I lived by my feelings, I would have a Krispy Kreme donut conveyor built in my basement. <laughs> I still might do that, by the way. That's a good idea. But we're not to go to our, our feelings. Like when we are faced with a situation that we can do nothing about, our first response, our default Response: If you want to build faith gains in your life, is to go to God. Go to God. I know it sounds simplistic, but go to God before you go to anyone else. Before you even go to your feelings, you go to God first. And this is the way I want you to think about it. How would your life be different today if that's what you had done? If you're anything like me, I bet there's a lot of regrets that you wouldn't have. I bet there's a lot of pain and heartache that you would never have experienced had you gone to God first. Maybe it would have saved you a lot of money. Maybe for some of you guys, you know, you, you wouldn't have spent so much money taking her out if you'd have gone to God first because he'd have told you, hey, it's not going anywhere anyway. Like you need to get rid of her kind of thing. You could have had money and bought you some new Jordans or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> How would your life be different? And I'm not talking about living in the past, but let's live now in the future. Like, how will your life be different? If that's your first response, you go to God, because I promise you, if you do, he will speak to you. Some of you are like, how do you know God will speak to me? Because he's still a speaking God. See, I don't know what kind of church you were brought up in. I don't know what kind of religion you came up in, but we just believe that, that what scripture says is we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. That as we seek God, we'll find him when we seek him with all our hearts. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we go to God and he'll speak to you. And Isaiah talks about the Holy Spirit leading you and it just tell you, go, don't go this way or that way. Go to the right or to the left. He will speak to you if you go to him. Well, Colby, how, how, does, he, how does he speak to me? A few different ways. One is in his word. Listen, he's already spoken to us, so read his word. That's his primary way that he wants to speak to you in your life. Another way is through, through his spirit. Like if you're here today and you've said uh, that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that you know God, not know about him, but you really know him, you've surrendered your life to, to Jesus, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is now living inside of you. The same spirit that, that brought Jesus back from the dead is now living in you, and so our spirit that's inside of us communicates with God. Like in the major way is through prayer. 
So pray. That's how you hear from God. And by the way, most of your prayer shouldn't be you talking. It should be you listening. Like, listen, what, what does God have to say to you? And then the third way, quickly, is through other people. This is why we say get in a group, get in a squad. You cannot do life alone. Every one of us in this room, we have a mask that we wear, and you need a safe place where you are able to take off the mask and say, hey, this is who I really am. This is what I'm up against. This is what I'm facing, especially, hey, some of you guys were doing a man camp in July. I'm saying you need to go to that, not because of, of the event, but because of the relationships that can be built out of it. Like you gotta have people in your life that know what you are capable of doing and that can help you in that journey. Do you see it in the text? I mean, that's what they did with Elisha. They're like, is there anyone here we can go to that can tell us what's going on? And so they asked Elisha and Elisha brought a word to them. So God uses other people to speak to you as well. He uses his word, he uses the spirit, he uses others. And some people will say, well, how do I know it's God? Like, how do I know the voice that I'm hearing is God? I wonder if you've ever wondered that. It's a great question. Here's the, the litmus test for that, is if, if what you feel like God is speaking to you contradicts his word, what he's already written, it ain't God. All right? It's not God. God will never contradict what he has already written to us in his word. But if it lines up with God's word and, and it leads you toward God, it drives you like closer to God, then there's a good chance that that's God speaking to you. Listen, I'm telling you, it's the number one way that we begin to have a calculated response to the situations that come up in our life is to go to God. Go to God first. Is this helping anybody? If not, I got three more to go. It's gonna be a long day, all right? Go to God. Go to God first. Look at what happens next in the text. Elisha is kind of a, a crotchety prophet. He gets a little mad, gets a little bitter. In fact, I didn't put it up here for the sake of time. Um, but they have this dialogue back and forth between these other kings. He's like, I don't even like you guys. I'm not going to help you. Like, why would I help you? And then he says, well, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, whom I have respect for, like, I would just say, forget you. But since, you know, I like that guy, uh, then he says, all right, you know, I'm going to help you. Now bring me a musician, which is a, a weird response. Uh, but that just means that this is the reason every pastor needs a good keyboard player, all right? Because it's in God's word. He says, bring me a musician. And this is what happens in verse 15. He starts playing. It says, then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. That's Elisha. And said, thus says the Lord. Make this valley full of ditches. That's an interesting response. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind nor rain you, rain yet, yet the valley will be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this, don't miss this, is a simple matter for God. It's a simple matter in the eyes of the Lord. It's not a big deal for God. I need to tell somebody Today, and I'm not trying to minimize your pain, I'm not trying to minimize your hurt, what it is that you are up against, but that thing that you're facing, which seems like a huge mountain that's a big deal to you, is not a big deal for God. Like, you just need to be reminded sometimes, right? That the God that we serve, like, cast the, the stars into the heaven, the God that we serve holds the earth on its axis. He is a big God, a powerful, awesome God. And it's a big deal, but nothing is impossible with him. And then it says that he will deliver you, right? The Moabites, deliver the Moabites into your hands. So the first thing we do is inquire of the Lord. We go to God. The second thing we do, write it down, envision the promise. Envision the promise. 
You know what envision means? It means to visualize, to see it, to, to, to imagine what it, what it looks like. That we're gonna visualize what it is that God has, has spoken. So in this case, he said, God is going to fill this valley full of water. So now that's the promise. That's what you're going to see. God said it was gonna happen, so it's going to happen. That's what we're looking for. Whenever I, I feel like I, I've gotten a word from God, a promise from God, which we learned last week, a word just simply means that God has given you a word, uh, something that you need the moment that you need it. Then he can speak to you through his word, through worship, through whatever, but God is giving you a tailor-made word for your life. And when God has done that, he's given you a word, he's given you this, this promise, that promise now becomes the anchor to which your faith can hold. That you have to see it. You have to envision it. He said, hey, this valley will be full of water. And because God said it so, right, I can anchor my faith to it. But you have to see it. So can you see what God has has promised you, what he's spoken over your life? Because when you can, no matter what else is going on around you that you don't see, it doesn't matter because God has given you a promise. Didn't you read it in the text? It said, you're not going to see the rain. You're not gonna see the wind. You're not gonna see the water coming at all. And I think a lot of us, when we, God has given us a promise and we don't see things happening in our natural sight, right? We, we don't see it, that, so we just assume God's not moving, that it's not going to happen. No, God promised it. He said this valley will be full of water. And if he said it, right, then we will see it. If he said it, it is now the, the anchor to which our faith can hold. So you need to fix your eyes on that, not on just what you see. So this is this is what what it looks like. Jehoshaphat, you know, he's he's like, hey guys, the valley's gonna be full full of water, full of water. He says, but I don't see it. He's like, don't worry about it. It's coming. How do you know? Because God promised it. He said it would happen. So we have to envision the promise. And then I would say you need to take that another step and you need to write it down. Habakkuk 2.2 tells us this, that we are to write down the revelation. You know what that word means? Vision. Write down what it is that God has shown you. Write down what it is, the promise that he has given you and spoken over your life and make it plain on tablets so that a herald, somebody can run with it and declare it. Colby, why would I write it down? Because there will come a season in your life where God has promised you something, but you're not seeing it. And you're like, where's the wind? Where's the rain? Where's the provision? Where's, where's the water? But if you write it down, you can anchor your faith to it and say, this is what God has promised. You have to envision the promise. The reason why you're sitting in this room today is because we saw it here before it ever happened. Did you know that? Like you're sitting in the promise right now. Like when there was just 15 of us in a living room asking God what he wanted to do in our city and what a life-giving church could look like. You know, this is, this is what, we, what we saw. In fact, we, we, when we were 200 people in an in a, in a auditorium at a school, you know, we know we have a, a vision that God wants it to be 10,000 people with multiple campuses reaching so many people who are far from God. And you're like, Colby, you're crazy. Like, I don't see it. I don't need you to see it because I see it for us. It's a promise that God has given me. So when God has given you a promise, that is now the thing that you can anchor your faith into. So you have to take that promise. You have to see it. You have to envision 
what it is that God has promised you, but number three, it can't stop there. Right? It's not enough just to see it. You have to move towards it. And that's why you need to write this down. Number three is to take action. You gotta take action. You gotta start moving towards the promise. This is what the text said. The first thing uh, the prophet told them that God wanted them to do, verse 16, was thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Snitches get stitches. Ditches, sorry. I I don't know. Make this valley full of ditches, right? It doesn't say, thus says the Lord, God's gonna make this valley full of ditches. It doesn't say that. The you is implied. In other words, that you have to participate in the promise, that you have to take action. And I'm convinced that this is where many of us get stuck. Like this is where we get hung up because I can imagine Jehoshaphat and these other two kings went back to the men and said, hey guys, it's all good. Like we sought the prophet of God, the prophet sought God, you know, and he said, we're going to get water. And there was great rejoicing amongst the camp, right? They're like, yeah, 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 this is exciting. We're gonna get water. But then they're like, oh, but there's one little catch. Oh yeah, what? We have to go and dig a bunch of ditches in the, in the wilderness. What? What did you say? We're gonna have to actually go and dig ditches in the valley, in the desert. Wait, what? Are you crazy? Dig ditches? See, I think a lot of us, when we get the promise from God, we stop there. They went out and they dug ditches. Why? Because you have to take action to move towards the promise. You have to take a step. You have to participate in it. Every time Jesus healed someone in the New Testament, there was always an instruction attached to it. It, was, it wasn't just, hey, you know, I'm gonna heal your, your blind eyes and you were healed. No, it was, hey, I'm gonna heal your blind eyes. Here's some mud. Now you go and wash it off. Like, you better do something along with it. You participate in it. Hey, I, wanna, I want you to heal your, I wanna heal your lameness, you know? But now you have to actually get up and take your mat. Every time there was an instruction attached to it, there was some participation that they had to play. And again, this is where we, we get hung up because we'll, we'll go to God and we'll say, God, I need your help. There is something that I can't do that I'm desperate for you to do. There's this mountain that I need to have faith for. And you might even have gone to God first. And God's like, all right, well, here's how you're gonna get there. And he gave you the vision. He, he, you can envision the promise of where he wants to take you. And then we're like, thank you, God. Like, that's exactly what I needed. Thank you, I love you. You're so awesome. And then we go back and do the same thing that we've always done before. And nothing changed. We don't take steps towards it. We don't participate in it. Here's how, here's how it plays out. God, I've seen the vision. You want me to, to be financially free. Like you don't want me to live a, a borrower or a slave to the lender. You don't want me to live in this constant cycle of debt. I've seen it in your word where you want to bless me. I've seen the promise. Thank you, God, for the promise. And then you go to the car lot and you take out a loan for a big old fat stupid payment on a car doing the same thing over and over. Or you go to the mall and you finance a dog. You should stop that, all right? <laughs> well, that's getting touchy now, that's touchy. Like you keep doing the same thing. Like you see the promise, but you haven't changed anything in your life in order for you to get there, right? There's a big difference. So, so instead, maybe it's like, I, I see the preferred future is financial freedom. I know that you want me to be a blessing and you want me to be, be generous, God. And so I know that there are things that, that if, I, if I was to 
uh, like lose my job or lose something, that it would be disaster, and you want to make sure that, that I, have, I have freedom in my life, so maybe digging a ditch for you is going to Financial Peace University, is going to FPU, right? There you go. Maybe digging a ditch for you is tithing. Like, honor God. Like, put him first. Say, you've given me this, and I'm gonna give you my first and my best. Maybe that's digging a ditch for you. Maybe digging a ditch is getting rid of a stupid payment that you don't need. Maybe it's selling something that you don't need. Are you with me? You have to take a step. Like, you have to take action. It's not enough to say, that's what God wants, and do nothing about it. Hey, if the promise is to have a marriage that thrives, that makes it the, the long haul, that, that, that is a love that lasts a lifetime, right? Then, then digging a ditch for you is getting in a married small group, surrounding yourself with other couples that you can do life with, that you can be there for and build each other up. Maybe it's dating again. Listen, God wants to bring the water, but he's not gonna bring the water unless you dig. You gotta dig. You gotta participate in the promise. The way we say it is you do everything you can do in the natural, and you let God do what he can do in the supernatural, but you have to participate in the promise. And again, I think it's where we get stuck. And again, I think sometimes it's awkward for us to take that step, to take action, uh, because it can feel like that we're, we're out of place. It can feel weird to wanna take a step towards a, a great promise that we've seen, you know, that God has given us vision for. I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you remember being in high school and going to prom or homecoming or uh, being in a wedding party and you have a tux on, but in order to get there, you have to drive, but you're out of gas. And so you have to stop at a gas station and you had to pump gas in a tux. Has anybody ever had to do that? Just me. Okay. <laughs> it's awkward because people look at you like, you know, it doesn't seem right. But the reality is, I'm not dressing for where I currently am. I wasn't dressing because I was staying at a gas station. I was dressing for where I was going. Are you getting this? You are not taking steps to stay where you are. You're taking steps for where you know God is leading you. Listen, when we started this church and had 200 people or so coming, I was pastoring it. I was leading it like we had 1,000 people. And people would say, aren't you a little too big for your britches? I said, I hope so, because I'm planning on growing into them. So I hope you're too big for your britches, because you're planning on growing into where God is taking you. Man, but you got to take steps. Listen, God wants to send the provision, but you got to make preparation for it. And here's the last thing that we see in the text. In verse 20, verse 20, it says um, this, that now it happened in the morning. Some versions might say the next morning, uh, but the reality is we don't know. We don't know if it was that morning. We don't know if it was a week later or a month later or a year later, but we do know the time of day for sure. That's what we know. It says in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly the water came by way of Edom, and the land was filled, filled with water. I want to show you something. What sometimes we think is, is suddenly was weeks or months or even years in the making. I know it can be frustrating when you see other people trusting in God for something big in their life, and it, it seems like God listened to them, and he came through for them, and it was like, God, you you. You worked for them like all of a sudden. You, you did something immediately in their life. You have no idea how many hours they spent on their knees asking God for their son or daughter to return. You have no idea 
the level of sacrifice they had to get to the, the place of freedom in their finances that they are arrived at. Don't confuse what suddenly means. Don't confuse suddenly. It could be weeks, it could be months, years in the making. But then it says this. It says that after that, the water came. After they offered their grain offering, the water came. Here's the fourth thing I want you to jot down. It's the fourth, fourth step is offer your worship. Offer your worship. See, the grain offering was a unique offering to Israel. Uh, it had to be something that was not contaminated, no leaven in it, no honey or sweetener on it at all. It could be offered in grain or it could be offered in, in a cake-like thing. And the reason why they offered the grain offerings uh, was to say, thank you, God, for the provision that they had. So here's what I want you to see. Before the water came, they were thanking God for the provision. And after they offered pure worship, that's when the water started to flow. Like, it's one thing, it's one thing to be able to worship God on this side of your miracle. It's another thing to worship him before the miracle. And for some of us, that's what four is. It's offering our pure worship. It's saying, God, you know what? I don't see the wind. I don't see the rain. I don't even know if it's coming tomorrow or next week or next month or next year, but I'm going to worship you anyway. I'm going to offer you my, my pure worship. So in one hand, I'm going to be digging this ditch. And in the other hand, I'm going to raise it in worship. In one hand, I'm digging. In the other hand, I'm lifting in worship, God. No matter what you do, you are good. You are in control. I have seen the promise, and that's what I'm working towards. Offer him your worship before the miracle, during the miracle, after the miracle. And when they offered their worship, the water started to flow. I think we just need to develop the systematic response to the issues that come up in our life that we would first take it to God, take it to God. What is it that you need to take to God that you've been looking at every other option, how to resolve it, but you haven't even started with God? And take it to God. Take it to him. Let's do this. Would you bow your head, close your eyes. God, I pray right now for those of us in this room that you would increase our faith, that you would help it grow, that we begin to exercise these, these faith muscles, that our default response now would be set to faith instead of fear or doubt. We would just trust in you, that we would seek you first. We go to your word, that we would seek you in prayer, but whenever we're faced with a challenge that that we would go to you first, God, first. And that after that, God, we would, we would believe that, that you've given us a promise, and that we could envision it, that we could see it. And for some of us in this room, we've already seen it. We know what it is. So now I pray you would give us courage and strength to take a step towards it. Envisioning it is not enough that we have to take action so God, help us to do that. Help us to be people of action. Even if it feels awkward, even if we feel out of place, even if it means taking a step that's, that's weird for us because we know how, how far the, we are away from the promise, but help us to take that next step, God, and then ultimately, no matter what, we're gonna worship you in it. We're gonna worship you, whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we hear 
the rain's coming or not, we're gonna worship you because you said it would happen. While we're praying, every head bowed, every eyes closed, maybe you're here today. And the first step of faith you need to take is one where you surrender your life to Jesus. That you've never taken that step. You've never believed that Jesus paid for your sin, past, present, and future. That his death on the cross covers you. And the moment that you uh, confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. That you won't have to pay for something that's already been paid for. That you'd be free from the penalty of your sin. And maybe that's why you're here. You've never taken that step. I'm gonna invite you to take that step by faith. And I'm not gonna invite you to stand up or walk to the front, not put you on the spot, but I will invite you to boldly right now, if you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, I'm praying it with you. I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus to boldly right where you are, just lift your hand. No one's looking around, just hold it up high. Just say, God, here I am. I surrender my life to you. Come on, awesome. Praise God for you. Awesome, God bless you, God bless you, yeah. You can say something like this to God, you can whisper it to him, say it out loud. The most important part is that you believe it in your heart. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I pray that you would uh, come into my heart, make me new, that you would forgive me for my sin and for the ways I've fallen short. And today I trust that your death on the cross saves me and sets me free. I confess you as Lord, just let him know that again. You are the Lord of my life. And from this moment on, I'm gonna follow you in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, come on, you guys, celebrate with those today. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there'll be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to feeling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.